So we are talking this morning about societal trends, role reversal, and the need for biblical modeling of the sexes. And based upon that title, my next statement is probably going to sound foolish, but I don't do issue preaching. I know it sounds strange for me to say that at this point. Our, our current message seems to suggest otherwise, but in all honesty, I don't do issue preaching. So, for example, if there's a major event that happens in the world and it takes the headlines by storm and everywhere you look, you're seeing it popping up, I do not address those things 99% of the time on a Sunday. And a part of that is not because I don't have an opinion. I got an opinion on a lot of stuff. <laughs> the issue is I'm trying to follow biblical wisdom. And biblical wisdom is very clear in the fact that you need to take time to hear all sides. You need to take time to prayerfully walk with God through things. You don't need to lean on your own understanding. And, and sometimes in order to be fast in making a response, it means that you are unfaithful in how you respond. So when it comes to a topic like this, I recognize that there are times when the ongoing influence of society becomes more than just background noise. There are times when it's no longer a fleeting issue, but rather it is a prevalent problem. There are times when society's influence reaches so far into the local church that it disrupts our ability to make disciples. It begins to overshadow biblical truth. Sometimes it begins to blur God's design. And when those things happen, they need to be addressed carefully and they need to be addressed biblically. And that is the case for the topic that we have started addressing last week and we will complete this morning. There is an assault on manhood and womanhood that is happening within our culture. There are attacks against God's authority and also against God's image. And these are not fleeting issues. These are chronic, deep problems that have infiltrated homes and churches and communities and are disrupting God's design for the family and for community. So if you were not here this last week, I'm going to give a very, very quick overview of what we covered. But it is by no means going to be sufficient for you to pick up everything that's been presented. So I want to encourage you, if you've not already seen or been a part of the message from last week, go on our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. Uh, go check it out on YouTube, our, our YouTube channel, and go back and watch the first part because each of these messages are critical in giving the full picture of God's design and God's plan as well as last week I did a whole lot in laying out the groundwork for last week and this week's message. So last week I framed our discussion from research and cultural trends. I stated what we are for. I shared some major problems that are now facing families dealing with role reversal, and I specifically addressed some issues as they pertain to men. So for just a moment, I want us to reread our one verse that we're actually coming from in this. Our passage is Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. If all you have is that one verse, here's what you know. You are not here by accident. You've been created by an eternal God. There is thought and intentionality and design. 
There is all of this that's packaged in this one little verse. God does not make mistakes. You are made in his image. And because of that alone, that means your life has intrinsic value and worth. It, it means that your, your life is one that has been put here on this earth intentionally by God. So let me state for just a moment what we're for again. We are for people. We are for healthy families. We are for the gospel that sets people free to understand their created purpose and to live out their created potential. We are for God. We are for his word. We are for his eternal and his perfect design. And because we are for those things, it also means that there are certain things that we have to be against. We have to be against anything that is hurting people and robbing men and women of their dignity. We need to be against things that are going to hurt families and cause generational pain and destruction. We need to be against things that go against God's eternal and perfect design. And when we're against those things, it is not being against out of hatred or bigotry. It is being against those things, listen, because it is the only expression that is intellectually honest and positionally consistent and lovingly truthful and ultimately helpful. You all do know it's a lot easier to just go with the crowd and not say anything. It's a lot easier to, to blend in and say we're not going to make waves, we're not going to cause problems, but if we truly say we are for people and we are for God and his design, there's times the church has to speak up. So last week, I shared two big problems. Problem number one, God's authority and God's image are under attack. There is a relentless and destructive message coming through the channels of culture that being a man is toxic and being a woman is not enough. I broke that statement down this last week. I addressed each of the different parts, and I showed how it led into our second major problem. Here's problem number two that I gave. Our society is experiencing a vacuum of mature young men doing part to role reversal, devaluing manhood, and encouraging immature role models. Now, last week, I just shared a handful of the thousands of articles and books and blogs and resources, dissertations written on that exact point. I shared how many of the issues that we're facing today can be traced back into the 60s with the push for equality between the sexes. There was a strong effort to bring equal access to jobs and equal pay and equal opportunities between men and women. And please hear me again. All of that is good. Equality is not the problem. What I did share is a problem came because in many of the efforts to elevate women, it came by devaluing men. Somewhere along the way, it became okay to devalue, to ridicule, to belittle, to tear down anything that speaks of masculinity. Society started portraying men as being less of a man and more of a woman. Distinct gender roles began to crumble. And the effect of that has now led to mass confusion, men abandoning God-given roles, leading in their families, prolonged adolescence, refusal to take responsibility, rampant immaturity, and a list could go on and on and on. So we came back to what can we do? 
But what are a couple of action steps? I gave two basic steps this last week. That is, for Christian men, they must embrace God's design for biblical manhood. And number two, Christian men must teach and model these truths before their kids. That's where we ended this last week. So at this point, I want to share with you all that I'm about to go over on biblical manhood has now been listed and made available on some sheets that are right out front. Again, you all are going to get used to the fact I make a lot of handouts right there. Actually, I don't make them. Actually, Miss Stephanie Bennett makes them on your behalf. So um, anyway, but no, we, we want to make sure that you have all the pieces. And at the same time, a lot of these, I don't want you to worry about did I get the fill in the blank right. I, I want you to be in the moment and to listen to what we're walking through. On the back of this is going to list out things on biblical womanhood. Okay, so I'm just going to cover briefly, since all of it is listed there for you, what is God's design for biblical manhood? And again, this is not an exhaustive list. This is just the basics. So what is God's design for husbands? Husbands are to love their wife as Christ loved the church. In all of these, the Bible references right off to the side. Husbands are to remain faithful to their wife. They're to leave father and mother and join to their wife. They are to honor their wife. They are to be kind to their wife. They are to fulfill their role as spiritual leader and protector. They are to provide for their home and family. They are to live joyfully with their wife. Let's pause there for just a moment. How many of you think that homes and marriages would be a lot healthier if we just simply followed God's design? Amen. Amen. Okay, so what is God's design for fathers? Once again, all of this is found references right there in Scripture. Fathers are to model what it means to fear the Lord. Fathers, listen, as the spiritual head of the home, if something happens in that home, God comes to you first. You have been put there to lead, to guide, to help instruct. So when you're talking about how will my kids know how to fear the Lord, Model it for them. Show them what it looks like to walk in the fear of the Lord. Fathers are to lead their family by keeping God at the center. They are to model and continually teach their kids to love God completely. They're to treat their children as a blessing from God. They are to walk with integrity. They are to teach their children God's way, providing a biblical worldview. They are to discipline their children in love, show compassion to their children. They are to encourage and to exhort their children. They are not to provoke their children. So here's the last of these categories. What is God's design just for manhood in general? This is, this is not for husbands. This is not for fathers. This is just for manhood. That is, godly men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, sound in love, and steadfast. Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. Now, that is not an exhaustive list. And let me also say, that does not include what God calls every follower of Jesus Christ to be. You didn't hear anything about being faithful in prayer, being in the word, serving in your church and serving in your community. None of that's there because there's parts that God desires for believers, men or women. This is just some specifics to help orient men towards God's design for manhood. So if you need to find out a little bit more about what that looks like and how it is practically lived out, I want to encourage you, if you've not already seen it, I'll encourage you to go back and see it again. Check out Show Me the Father. 
If you want to know what it looks like whenever men either step into their God-given roles or they abandon those God-given roles, the Kendrick brothers did an amazing job of putting all of that right there in an engaging way to be able to see for yourselves. So now let's look at the other side of the coin. Just as much as there has been an attack against manhood in society, there's also been an attack against womanhood in society. That brings us now to problem number three. Our society is facing a growing number of dissatisfied women, due in part to role reversal, redefining womanhood, and establishing impossible role models. Let me say that again. Our society is facing a growing number of dissatisfied women, due in part to role reversal, redefining womanhood, and establishing impossible role models. Now, you might want to look up, and you'll see that in problem number two, when talking about men, after role reversal, there has been a devaluing of manhood and encouraging immature role models. With women, it's on the other side of that. There is a redefining of womanhood and establishing impossible role models. So I want to read to you an excerpt from a CBS News article entitled, Staying at Home. Quote, Look around these days and you'll find women in positions of real power. Women at the helm of the National Security Council, Supreme Court justices, and female board members of every Fortune 100 company. It was just as it was supposed to be 40 years after women got in the front door. But look for the women of the next generation, the ones everyone assumed would follow in droves behind them, and you'll likely find many of them walking right back out and staying at home. Lisa Frelinghuysen was on her way to the very top of the legal profession. At Stanford Law School, she was president of the law review. She went to work for a top law firm, and she clerked at the Supreme Court for Ruth Ginsburg. But after she had her first baby seven years ago, she left and she never went back. She said, I wanted to experience getting to know my children and being there in a consistent way. And she's hardly alone. Every Wednesday morning, a church in suburban Maryland is filled with professional women who have chosen to step out of full-time workforce and spend time raising children. Tori Hall, a former analyst for the Congressional Budget Office, and Sheila Eisel, top sales representative for Oracle, come each week. They, along with Anna Geldzahler, a Yale graduate and lawyer, are all stay-at-home moms. Could it be that this generation of women, the first to achieve success without having to fight for it every step of the way, is now walking away willingly and without regrets? Census Bureau statistics show a 15% increase in the number of stay-at-home moms in less than 10 years. Why does it matter? Listen to this. These are women who would have gone into the jobs that run our world. These are women who would eventually have become senators and governors. These are the women who were in the pipeline to be CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, says Hirschman. Do any of them wake up and say, I'm June Cleaver and I'm living in the 50s? The women I have interviewed are completely dependent upon the goodwill of their wealthy income-producing husbands, says Hirschman. They choose dependence. As Mark Twain said, a man who chooses not to read is just as ignorant as a man who cannot read. 
These women are choosing lives in which they do not have to use their capacity for very complicated work, says Hirschman. I think there are better and worse lives. End of quote. As that article points out, some women are choosing a career path out of the home. Some are choosing to work within the home, to be there for their children. The thing I want to point out, the key is choice. Choice. That is, doesn't a woman have the right to stay at home, to love her kids, to nurture her family well, without society telling her she's ignorant for having made that decision? How is that any less of a valid choice? Now, please hear me when I say this. I'm the father of two daughters right on the front row. I'm the dad of two daughters. I want my girls to be everything God made them to be. I want my girls to be able to pursue the dreams that God placed in their heart. I want them to use their brains, their gifts, their abilities, their talents. I want them to get the best possible education they can possibly get. I want them to prayerfully discern God's leading in their lives. At this point, Shana believes God is leading her into the nursing field. At this point, Kaylee believes God is leading her into some level of higher math down the road. I want to be their cheerleader. I want to encourage them. I want to fuel the fire that God has placed in their life. But listen carefully. If their dreams, if their choice, if their calling leads them into the home to be a godly wife and a mother, that is an honorable and a wonderful and a Christ-honoring choice. There is nothing wrong with that. And just to be clear, the issue here is not whether or not women can work outside the home. If you've read Proverbs 31, you can see that clearly in Scripture. There is a godly, industrious, virtuous woman who is working in the home and out of the home. What I'm talking about here is choice. Why is choosing to be with your family an invalid choice? The problem is has been that womanhood has been so redefined away from many godly characteristics that those things are now considered insignificant and inferior and new standards are coming in that are both counterproductive and even unobtainable. As Hirschman put it in her own article, she said there are better lives and there are worse lives. You see, the goal for many was not equality and access. The goal was rebranding womanhood. The goal was we're going to redefine it in a way that is away from God's design. So through movies, television, education, advertisement, women are constantly being depicted in unrealistic ways. The overarching thought is for you to be a real woman, you have to do it all and you must do it all it's not enough for you to be a woman you have to be superwoman so let me stop there and let's clarify something else by the way i give a whole lot of stop there and clarify something else through this message there is nothing wrong with being a strong godly woman 
Just as much as we need strong, godly men, we need strong, godly women. That's not what I'm saying here. There's nothing wrong with challenging yourself and setting high standards. But here's the issue. So many of the standards that are now set within culture are tied back to a woman's value and her worth. In other words, if you don't live up to these standards or if you don't take this path, somehow you're less of a woman. Your value is less. Your life matters less. Your purpose is somehow diminished. That's the message that is hitting women, young girls. If you begin to do the research of young middle school and high school girls and watch the level of anxiety and depression and issues of fear settling in, it's because not only can they not live up to the standards, but social media has now created so many categories along the way, no one can live up to those standards. And it's crippling a generation before they even have a chance to get out of the home. These standards or across the board. If you get some time this afternoon, not right now, this afternoon, if you get some time, go to any search engine, and I encourage you to look up this phrase, evolution of a model, dove commercial. Evolution of a model, dove commercial. Just type that into a search engine and check that out. There's a one, one and a half minute little video that'll come up. And in that, it was originally released back in the mid-2000s, but it's the transformation of a woman into a supermodel. And after an extended amount of time in hair and makeup, now that image, that picture is sitting on a computer and it is being unrealistically edited. Her face is being elongated. Her neckline is being slimmed. Her eyes are made bigger than her normal eyes. She's airbrushed of any imperfections and all of that's happening before that picture is going up on the billboard. And here's the phrase that comes at the very end of the commercial. No wonder our perception of beauty is distorted. Even the secular world is saying there is a distortion that is going on. No one can live up to those standards. So when it comes to beauty, women are being told their good is not good enough. They must be thinner, taller, more attractive, higher cheekbones, slimmer waistlines, younger skin, more stylish, more youthful, etc., etc. It just never ends. Put it all together. And here's the ongoing message that is hitting women. Being a woman is not enough. If you're going to amount to anything, your life is ever going to have any real value. You must be able to do it all. Womanhood is being redefined and impossible role models are being set up. So what is the result of that? What is the effect of that? What happens to a person when they have now lived for decades under that type of messaging? Is it leading to people who are stronger and more emotionally stable and ready to go? I just want you to listen to some of this. According to the National Institute for Mental Health, in 2017, the percentage of women being treated for mental illness was almost 50% higher than the percentage for men. Women are twice as likely to be impacted by generalized anxiety disorder. The prevalence of serious mental illness is almost 70% greater in women than in men. Women are almost 10 times more likely than men to be affected by an eating disorder. And by the way, those same types of statistics, you'll find all of it on other sites like the UN, the World Health Organization. 
I mean, th those, are, those are massive agencies that are now sharing the same things. I, I want you to listen for just a moment to this quote by the World Health Organization. Gender, listen, gender, listen, gender, listen, gender is a critical determinant of mental health and mental illness. Gender differences occur particularly in the rates of common mental disorders, depression, anxiety, and somatic complaints. These disorders in which women predominate affect approximately one in three people and constitute a serious public health problem. Unipolar depression, predicted to be the second leading cause of global disability burdens in 2020, is twice as common in women. End of quote. Now let me pause there for just a moment. These types of studies are being conducted by secular universities, by government agencies, by medical organizations, by private parties. They're saying there is a clear distinction in how gender plays in to mental disorders. And yet the same organizations are saying gender is fluid, Gender is non-binary, and gender is optional. Can I tell you? You can't have it both ways. Either gender matters or it doesn't. Either gender is real or it's not. The, the more the world tries to remove those distinctions that God put in, the more problems you're seeing on the other side. That position of gender is absolutely essential for mental disorder and problems and how people affect things and then turning right back around and saying gender really doesn't matter, that is being intellectually dishonest. We, When your research is not aligning with the cultural narrative and you throw your research out the door to keep the cultural narrative, do not tell me you're concerned about people's health. Churches have to champion God's design. We, we have to be the ones saying, God made men and women. He made them beautiful. He made them distinct. He gave them different roles and responsibilities. There, there is intrinsic value because you've been created by God. We, we have to champion those things. Otherwise, you've got a whole other generation that's right now trying to figure out who in the world am I? How do I function in this world? What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? If they don't hear it in the church, they're definitely not going to hear it in school. They're not going to hear it in society. I want to read for just a moment a quote from Lori Gottlieb that appeared in the Atlantic magazine. This came from an article entitled, Marry Him, The Case for Settling for Mr. Good Enough. Quote, about six months after my son was born, he and I were sitting on a blanket at the park with a close friend and her daughter. Other parents and their kids picnic nearby, mothers munching berries and lounging on the grass, fathers tossing balls with their giddy toddlers. My friend and I, who in fits of self-empowerment 
had conceived our babies through a donor bank because we hadn't met Mr. Wright yet. We surveyed the idyllic scene. Ah, this is the dream, I said, and we nodded in silence for a minute, then burst out laughing. In some ways, I meant it. We'd both dreamed of motherhood, and here we were, picnicking in the park with our children. But it was also decidedly not the dream. The dream, like that of our mothers and their mothers from time immemorial, was to fall in love, get married, and live happily ever after. Of course we had loathed to admit it in this day and age. But ask any soul-bearing 40-year-old single heterosexual woman what she desires most in life, and she probably won't tell you a better career, a smaller waistline, or a bigger apartment. Most likely she'll say that what she really wants is a husband, and by extension a child. To the outside world, of course, we still call ourselves feminist and insist vehemently even that we're independent and self-sufficient and don't believe in any of that damsel in distress stuff, but in reality, we're women who want a traditional family, end of quote. They are what Dawn Eden referred to herself and many others as the dissatisfied daughters of the sexual revolution, end of quote. So we have men that don't feel like men. We have women who aren't fulfilled as women. And we have a culture that's saying, just give it more time, stay the course, and things will eventually get better. I'm going to be really honest with you. You could give it till eternity, and it's not going to get better. God has made men and women equal in value, but different in roles and responsibilities. Each sex has internal passions that can only be fulfilled when aligned with God's eternal design. So what is the answer for women? This is going to sound very familiar based on last week. Number one, Christian women must embrace God's design for biblical womanhood. And number two, Christian women must teach and model these truths before their kids. Returning to God's design for biblical womanhood is not the same as returning to the 1950s. By the way, his, his design happened a whole lot before the 1950s. The goal is to establish our lives around God's design while making sure that our dreams do not derail us from God's best. So what is God's design for wives? Once again, that is on the backside of that nice handy sheet that is sitting right out in the foyer. So what is God's design for wives? Wives are to love their husband. They're to care for the home, be submissive to their husband. They're to respect their husband. They're to train the next generation of women in God's design. They're to be trustworthy. They are to do their husband good and not harm. What is God's design for mothers? They're to comfort and nurture their children. They're to continually teach their children the Bible. They're to teach their children a biblical worldview. They are to discipline their children with love and in love. They are to train the next generation of wives and mothers. They are to love their kids. What is God's design for women in general? Godly women are to be strong and dignified, face in the future with confidence, teaching wisdom and kindness in the fear of the Lord, Proverbs 31. Nancy Lee DeMoss said it like this, quote, Today, no bouquets are handed out to women for being reverent and temperate or modest, chaste or gentle and quiet. Women are rarely applauded for loving their husbands and children, for keeping a well-ordered home, for caring for elderly parents, for providing hospitality, 
or for carrying out acts of kindness, service, and mercy. In other words, little attention is paid to the kinds of accomplishment that the Word of God says women should aspire to. The feminist revolution was supposed to bring women greater fulfillment and freedom. But I can't help but feel in a sense of sadness over what has been forfeited in the midst of the upheaval, namely the beauty, the wonder, and the treasure of the distinctive makeup of a woman. End of quote. Ladies, please hear me. God made you perfectly as a woman. There is dignity and value and worth in who he made you to be. He uniquely gifted you and blessed you as a woman. Be who God made you to be. You're not called to bow at the altar of cultural norms. You are called to walk faithfully before your creator. Be who God made you to be. If there's change that's ever going to happen, it needs to happen with believers and it happens at home. In a world that is confused about men and women, gender and marriage, roles and responsibilities, believers must lead in love. We must show what it's like to live out God's design. We have to stand on truth. We have to model a life that is fully lived unto God. That's a part of what we get a chance to do every day. And we don't need to apologize for men being men and women being women. We don't need to apologize if God is leading different individuals to pursue him in ways that don't fit the cultural norms. It's okay to be who God made you to be. When society tries to take us away from God's design and God's heart, I am reminded of an incredible quote that was given by Francis Chan a number of years ago. He said, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. There are certain things that we're trying to succeed at that just don't matter. Ultimately, our lives are to honor God. Ultimately, our allegiance is to him. So what do you do with these couple of messages? I find it interesting that this last week, there was a lot of discussion that apparently happened at the lunch table after last week's first message. Some of it didn't even wait to the lunch table. Some of it started in the connect groups right afterwards, which is okay. That's, that's good times. But here's something that I found. I found last week the young men came up to me and they said, thank you for saying out loud what I've been wanting to say. And at the same time, young women came up to me and said, thank you for saying what we didn't feel like we could say out loud. Isn't that crazy that both men and women are saying, thank you for just teaching God's design? Here's something else that was interesting that came to me this last week. There were some young ladies who said, there's been guys who've been wanting to hold the door for us and be a gentleman, and we kept telling them no. And here's what they said. We shouldn't do that. Yes. How do you think they're going to learn to be a man and to be a gentleman if they don't get a chance? Young men, now's the time to start holding some doors. <laughs> Young men, now's the time to step into those roles because I, 
I've had this conversation with people before. Right now, guys, it doesn't take much to stand out as a strong, godly man in this culture. It doesn't take much, but let's go on the opposite side of that. Women, be the woman that he wants to chase. And there should be a chase involved in this. Be the woman that that you're saying, one day I want a godly Christian man, be a godly Christian woman. Sometimes it's, it's interesting, people are like, I, I want a godly man. Well, where are you going to find him? Well, I've been done going down to the club. You ain't going to find him down there. This is going to sound crazy, but you want a godly Christian man? Find him somewhere involved in a local church loving Jesus without you being in the picture first. And there's a whole lot greater likelihood he's going to love Jesus and pursue him afterwards. Women, be godly. Let him pursue you. And don't drop your standards. Because there's some guys who might not want to walk with Jesus the way that you need them to walk with Jesus. Sometimes there's those moments along the way that people are like, I would rather be in a relationship and work that out And here's the lie that's been told to a lot of people. I'll change them once we get married. No, no, no. That's bad advice. That's talk show advice right there. Go back to the Word of God. Listen, hey, you're getting their best while you're dating. I'm not going to lie. Once you get married, they got morning breath. Once you get... Once you get married, they're like, the ring is on the finger. Like, we don't have to do that. Listen, have that guy as the one you're going to pursue all along the way, or have the guy who's going to be pursuing you. And at the same time, trust God. Trust God. Don't rush it. Trust God. So, those of you who are like myself, and we're married, we got kids that are now coming through that that next step right there, for us, You know what we do? We walk faithfully with God and we stay on our knees in prayer for this next generation. We try to encourage. We try to direct. We we use those teachable moments along the way. I got a lot of hope. I know it might sound strange based on these two messages. I got hope. You know one of the reasons I got hope? Because just today we saw a miracle take place in that baptistry. Just today, we're watching a middle schooler who got saved because a high school student sat down to share the gospel. That gives me hope. I praise God that that is happening in the student ministry. Thank you, Dalton, for the investment. Thank you, Tim, for the investment. I praise God that that's happening. And by the way, I praise God for the fact that Pastor Mark, back in the children's ministry, and the entire team around them, they are working the Word of God in early into those lives. We got an amazing church family here. We got amazing opportunities. But what happens here oftentimes will set a direction for where things go in Southwest Georgia. We get a chance to lead faithfully and biblically. So how do I close out a message like this? I need every adult 
with a desire to see the next generation pursue Jesus and step into their created potential. I need every adult to faithfully be praying for that. I, I need there to be part of that burden in your heart when it comes to your time with God. Make that a regular part of your, your prayer time. God, help me to remember to pray for these things. Help me to see opportunities to serve. Help me to set the example that I need to set because there's a generation behind us that needs to see it walked out faithfully, and here it is, and not in a weirdo way. There's a bunch of stuff that happens up in church that just seems weird. Don't be weird. Be biblical. Am I, is it all right to say that? I know this is the most unconventional invitation I think I've ever given in my life, but, but you know, we got some timeless truths that we need to work through. We don't need to complicate it with weird. Just love Jesus and pursue him. Be biblical and invest in the next generation. Heavenly Father, as we come before you right now, God, we pray. As a church family, we pray that, God, you would... You would start something in this, in this group that, Lord, reaches out into southwest Georgia and all around the world. God, I'm praying that you would, you would create such a hunger and a drive in the hearts of men and women in this church to be biblically faithful and to set a strong example that, Lord, the word just begins to get out into the community of people who they're like... I want to do the right thing. I just don't know where to start. And all of a sudden, conversations start happening, and people are saying, if you need help in that, the people at Sherwood would love to help. God, may our testimony in this community be that we are for people, that we are for you, that we are for families. God, may the testimony be that we're willing to stand in the gap and do the hard work to make sure the next generation has the opportunity to thrive. God, I pray right now over every parent in this room. I ask you, God, to give them incredible courage for their family. God, help men to step up as men and lead well within the home. God, help women to desire to walk alongside their husbands as that submissive helpmate, being everything that you made them to be. God, I pray that there's a restoration of marriages, a restoration of families. God, I pray for families right now that almost generationally, they look back and they see how the enemy has been attacking. God, would you stop those generational trends and Lord, reverse it so that there's another generation that walks in godliness and holiness. And Lord, you're using them to transform the world. God, for that to happen, you have to be the one to do it. Lord, we need you. We need you. God, may your burden for men and women become our burden. May your desire for the family be our desire for the family. And God, would you use us in order to transform lives for your sake and your glory. In Jesus' name. At this time, I'm going to encourage you to stand. Our pastors are going to be at the ends of the aisles. It might be today that you simply need prayer. It might be today that you want to find a place at the altar and just pray for your, your family or for your community. It might be that you're looking for hope in the gospel, whatever it might be. The altar is open.